You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amanda, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at The Peak. It is a super great time to be here at our church. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we had a record Christmas Eve service, or three services, actually, uh, and two that we streamed online. So between uh, those five different ways of worshiping on Christmas Eve, we had our biggest Christmas Eve ever. It was awesome. Um, And we are really looking forward to kind of traveling into this new year together and following where God is leading us. Um, I think that because you're here on this rainy, humid January 2nd morning that you get extra Jesus points today, so congratulations. Just before the new year, I was um, hanging out with one of my best friends, and in the way that we do now in this crazy COVID world, uh, hanging out meant going for a walk and then sitting outside her house (laughs) while catching up and talking about life. The conversation led us to religion. Um, I'll give you three guesses as to whose fault that was. I can't help it. I'm a pastor. I have to. Um, And we started to discuss together why It is so challenging for so many people, uh, people just like her, to consider the Christian faith, to think about believing it. Largely, our conversation revolved around some of the, we'll call them harder to believe, elements of our faith. Things like miracles, things like resurrection from the dead, things like the fact that we worship a savior who is both fully God and fully human, at the same time, just a couple of little things like that. For many of us, I imagine that when I say those things, uh, you don't really take an issue with it. You don't really understand why um, someone might not get on board with that. It makes so much sense, you might say, or I don't understand why that's a problem. That's pretty basic, right? But what I often have to remind myself of is the fact that um, even though uh, I was raised in the church, even though I was like born into a pew, um, there are lots of people who are not. Um, but even, even if you weren't really a church person growing up or church really wasn't your thing, you still lived in the same world that I do, which is a world that has been deeply informed by Christian faith and by the practices of the church. Uh, most of us don't think this faith is strange. Um, Because we grew up, we have lived our entire lives hearing all about it all the time. Um, Whether we bought into it or not, it's just sort of in the water, right? Maybe we grew up, uh, like me, with the Lord's Prayer just sort of ringing around in your ears all the time or walking around humming hymn tunes. Um, That's just me. But maybe for you, it was just that you always heard Christian language from friends or coworkers or classmates. But when it really comes down to it, Our faith is full of radical ideas and unbelievable promises that when heard outside the context of a place like this, where we all sort of assume them to be true, uh, they may seem too good to be true, too confusing, too unlikely, too far outside of the realm of possibility to be believed 
especially when it comes to our beliefs and understandings about Jesus. What we learn in the story of scripture as recorded in the New Testament in particular is that the ancient Jewish people living in Judea at the time of Jesus' life and ministry also found him to be pretty unbelievable at different times throughout his life. But unlike those of us who live in this futuristic year of 2022, I've been like joking about it for a couple weeks now because every time I think about 2022, I just picture like robots taking over the world and that kind of thing. Uh, We live in this world, this very futuristic world, where Christianity has been around for a couple thousand years. Uh, For most of us, Jesus is kind of old news. But unlike us, uh, these people don't have the benefit of all of that knowledge and experience. So they often respond to Jesus with undisguised awe or wonder or sometimes just straight up disbelief, which I think is very understandable. When they encounter him, they are constantly questioning him, asking him, who are you? And meanwhile, poor Jesus is trying to tell them over and over and over again who he is, just as he does in the scripture passage that Adam just read for us today. The thing is that the people Jesus is teaching, the people he's interacting with, the people he's healing and talking to, they don't always have eyes to see or ears to hear. And I would argue that we often don't have eyes to see or ears to hear either. Just before our scripture passage today, there's this moment where Jesus heals a man who had been born blind. It's a beautiful moment in scripture, one of my favorites in the New Testament. A beautiful moment that is quickly over, the moment that the people who witnessed it begin to argue and debate about the legality of what Jesus has just done. They argue about what it means and why it happens. They question the man, they question Jesus, and ultimately Jesus ends up being threatened by these people, which is where we started in our story today. It could be really easy for us, I think, to judge these people, to ask, wonder, why are they so hostile to Jesus? He's doing a good thing. But it's a lot harder to judge if we take the time to dig a little bit deeper and try to get a sense of where these people are coming from. What we have to understand is that there is 2,000 years of history and culture that separates us from them. What we have to understand is they speak a language that we would not be able to recognize if we heard it spoken today. We don't share any letters, any words, any sounds with the language that these people spoke. Our entire worldview is completely different. So we have to do a little bit of work to get there with them. We have to do a little bit of work to understand why this is their response to Jesus before we try to judge them. What we have to understand is how deeply shaped by the law these people are. Most, if not all of them, have known God most profoundly in the legal teachings, the practices, the ways of life they were led in by priests and teachers of the law. We see Jesus interacting with these folks all the time, the religious leaders of the day. The Jewish faith is also so beautiful in the way that it is passed down orally through families, through generations. Instead of sitting around the TV at nighttime, they would tell stories from the Hebrew Bible to one another. They would recount the law and what it means in their lives to one another. 
this is the primary way that they've come to understand God. And so, understandably, it was shocking to them to experience someone who claimed to be God in a human body. We aren't trying to stone you because you're doing good things, they tell Jesus. We're trying to stone you because you claim to be God. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, the same Gospel that we read from this morning, the author writes, no one has ever seen God until now. And that's why it's so hard for these people to meet Jesus without judgment, without anger, without defensiveness. So to truly engage with and begin to understand these people, we have to start uh, with the law in the Hebrew Bible that shaped them so deeply. Um, these laws, there's 613 of them. They're called the mitzvot. And they're in place, they're put in place by God to ensure that the people of God fulfill their part of the covenants, these sort of um, relationship deals that the people of God make with God, that God makes with God's people. And these laws are trying to help them fulfill their part of those covenants um, to help point them back to their purpose, which God says very early on is for them to become a blessing to the whole world. That's the covenant that we see God make with Abraham. The law establishes this commitment to all of creation by requiring honor of and reverence for all life on earth, human or otherwise. One of my favorite works of art, I haven't had the chance to see in person, but I've seen lots of pictures of over the years um, and in my study of scripture. It's a series, an extensive series of paintings by an artist named Archie Rand. The installment is called 613, and in it there is a painting to represent every single one of the laws in the Hebrew Bible, the 613 mitzvot. If you took the time to look at all of these individual pieces, what you would see, what you would learn very quickly, is how these laws are about human flourishing. They're about ethical behavior. They're about worshiping God. And they're even about recognizing and preserving beauty in the world. To be clear, we also understand the law to have been inspired by God, yet written by human beings. Which is to say that there are elements of the law, just as there are elements of the entire Bible, to include the New Testament, the Gospels, and the story that we read today, elements where we can see human influences breaking through with stubborn strength sometimes even to the extent that they overshadow the divine intention behind it all. Here's what I mean by this. This is how you get moments like this one in Deuteronomy 21, where the suggestion is that disobedient children should be taken to the edge of the city and stoned there. That's not a practice that we typically do these days. If you do, maybe we can talk after the service. But we see this same reality happen time and time again throughout all of Scripture that sometimes our human flaws, like our desire for dominance or violence or control, become evident in our holy texts, which were written 
by deeply flawed people who had had these incredibly meaningful encounters with a perfect God. What we as Christians often miss is that the law that so deeply shaped these people that Jesus interacts with, and then this law that so deeply shaped Jesus himself, was put in place to care for and protect not only God's people, but for all of humanity and even the earth itself. I would say that one of the greatest tragedies in Christian history, particularly Protestant Christian history, which is our history, is the lack of engagement and respect the church has traditionally held when it comes to the Old Testament and the law in particular. In extreme cases, this lack of respect has led to an unacceptable anti-Semitism and to devastatingly severe violence against Jewish people throughout history and around the world. We should lament and repent of that history. I think especially by moving forward with a renewed reverence for the Jewish faith and the law that sits at its foundation. All of this means, I know I just threw a lot at you, all of this means that whether as an ancient Jew or a modern-day Christian, or maybe someone somewhere in between, to disregard or even to misinterpret the law is to miss the reality that God's intention has always been to move people, people closer to goodness and wholeness and healing in the midst of this broken world that we have made for ourselves. What we see in this story of healing in our scripture passage today is the response of people who may have been misled about the meaning of the law. People who, one way or another, have come to misunderstand the purpose of the law. Some of the religious leaders of the day, some of them, not all of them, um, had begun to emphasize the law or maybe overemphasize the law above all else such that some people believed that what mattered most as a person of faith was not human flourishing or goodness, but the law, for the law's sake. For example, pretty early on in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath day walking through the edges of a field where they're plucking some wheat uh, to kind of chew on and eat during the day. And there are some people around who witness this, and they get really upset. And they say, what do you think you're doing? It's the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus tells them, the Sabbath was created for humans. Humans were not created for the Sabbath. I can also picture Jesus saying something like, the law was created for humans. Humans weren't created for the law. What's interesting is that our story today partially inspires the favorite hymn, maybe you've heard it, Amazing Grace, as the crowds are debating uh, the legality of what Jesus has just done, as they're debating who Jesus is, the newly healed man says quite plainly, I don't know if this man is a sinner, but here's what I do know. I was blind. And now I see. The crowds continue to interrogate him about Jesus, and this man stands before them, seeing their faces, seeing the world for the very first time in his life. 
And he's absolutely incredulous that this is their response to the profound miracle that they had just witnessed. The profound miracle that has just taken place before their seeing eyes. In the coming days, these are some of the same people who will come back to Jesus with the intent of stoning him. What happens after this is that this man, uh, who's sort of in disbelief at what has happened, uh, eventually becomes kicked out of their community. They become so angry at his defense of Jesus that they sort of expel him from their midst. And Jesus goes back. He finds this man, and they have this great conversation. And ultimately, Jesus tells him, I am the son of man. He says, I am the human one. They have this moment where the man confesses his belief and trust in Jesus, and he worships him right then and there. This man clearly understands that Jesus is God. But Jesus also says, I am the human one. And I have to say, as a human one myself, I'm a little bewildered by this. (laughs) I can't say that I've ever actually tried, and I don't think that I'm going to try because it would be very weird, but I don't think that I have the ability to give sight to someone who can't see. Not going to try it, but I don't think I can do it. And in fact, as a person with horrible vision myself, uh, who is super grateful for like, modern medicine and corrective lenses, uh, I'm positive that I can't do it because the first person I would be giving sight to is myself. <laughs> we have to assume here then that Jesus is saying something very particular. Jesus isn't just saying, I am human. Jesus is saying, I am the most human. He says um, that his entire life, that every moment that he lives is to the end of showing us how to be human. He's the epitome of what it means to be human. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's creation, the fulfillment of a flourishing humanity, and thereby the fulfillment of the law. This is such a profound moment because Jesus is teaching us that to be human means to offer healing to everyone we come into contact with. To be human means to seek wholeness of mind and spirit and body. To be human is to behold one another as beloved creatures who are worthy of living a life of fullness, a perfect life. To be human is to live into the fullness of the law, which is to say it means to be a part of a community that is together working, seeking, trying to become a blessing to the whole world. What Jesus, the human one, is saying is that he came to remind us how to be human again how to be the creatures that God always intended for us to be, how to align ourselves with the goodness of God in the most truly human way. You know, one of Jesus' favorite phrases that we see him using in his Sermon on the Mount, which is this message, this really long message that he preaches uh, at the beginning of his ministry on the side of this big hill. This is his favorite phrase there. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you this instead. Jesus loves to take our presumptions 
our miscalculations, our false dichotomies, our misappropriations, and upend them completely. Jesus loves to reform our laws to make them even stronger, even better, even more like the way that God intended for them to be. You have heard it said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Pretty standard. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Yikes. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What Jesus is doing is reminding the people of God about the true purpose of their law, their disciplines, their way of life, a purpose that some of them had lost somewhere along the way. You see, I think at various moments in his ministry, Jesus looks out at the people around him. He looks off the edge of the hillside where he's preaching. He looks into the crowd of people gathered around him as he performs these miracles. He looks into the faces of the thousands of people who are following him around looking for his help. He sees them. He sees people who have endured so much. People who are being subjected to unjust laws they don't believe in by a power-hungry empire. He sees people who are struggling to make ends meet, struggling to even find food to eat. And he sees people who through no fault of their own, in the fight to survive, in the struggle to maintain faithfulness in a world that had no respect for their faith, in the midst of their pain and grief, he sees people who had lost the truth of their identity, their purpose, perhaps even God. He looks into the crowds, and he has compassion for them. And so he begins to preach to them the gospel, the good news, the truth that has always been there in the law, but that had been lost. That human beings created in the image of God were made to experience life to the fullest. That this brokenness that surrounded them was not the end of the story, And it's not the end of the story for us either. That God's intention was not only to make everything right again, but to do it and to partner with them to make it so. And he began to live the gospel as an example for him. He didn't just say it, he lived it. To live this kind of life of perfect kindness and generosity, of humility and self-sacrificing love, and ultimately the kind of life that is lived in order to be a blessing to the world. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, he tells them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he does this by leading the people of God back again to their true purpose of blessing and salvation for the world. This is the kind of reform that Jesus came to bring to the people of God. The kind of reform that he knew would change the whole world. And yet, I believe that if Jesus were somehow here in a human body in our world today, he would be deeply disappointed in the universal church. He would look around and see people of God who, in the fight to survive, had again 
lost the truth of their identity, their purpose, and maybe even lost sight of God. Jesus would look around and see us with our commitment sometimes to rules above all else. The lines in the sand that we draw arbitrarily are echo chambers where we can hear our own thoughts blasted back at us, our misguided desire to be a blessing to ourselves above all others. Jesus would look at us, and certainly he would have compassion for us too. But I think also he would be disappointed that we have, again, fallen prey to this temptation to make faith more about following the rules than about becoming a blessing for the whole world. You know, there, there are some people uh, I've met who are, like, just shocked that I'm a pastor as a millennial, um, especially when I was in seminary and I was an intern at these smaller churches. They would say, Amanda, how do we get more young people in the church like you? Wink, wink. And I, w- I would not have an answer for them. Um, But I think since then, I've come to understand that a lot of people my age, people in my generation, and certainly other people too, have met in the church this unreasonable commitment to rules and practices and beliefs and requirements and hoops to jump through, and they struggle to see Jesus in it. They have struggled to see the goodness of God in a church that excludes, a church that lines up with a political party, a church that stays silent in the face of injustice. I think there are many people who have encountered the true gospel, the reality of the person of Jesus, who, as we heard just a couple of weeks ago, Mary said, came to turn the world upside down. People know that, Jesus. They've encountered the beauty of a life of faith that has such grand and cosmic purpose of goodness and salvation. And when they look at the church, they just see more of the same, more of the same that the world has to offer, more of the tribalism and fear and insulation that they already see in the world. When what they are hoping to see and be a part of is a church that truly embodies the gospel, a church that offers good news in this world that is so full of bad news. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of, and that's the kind of church that I hope we are building here together. Over the next several weeks, we're going to consider some of the ways that Jesus came to offer reformation, the ways that Jesus transforms our faith and our lives. If you have been paying attention to the Christian religious landscape of the last like forever, um, especially in America, you know that we are constantly in need of reformation. We're constantly in need of transformation. We're constantly in need of being reminded again and again of our purpose. So as we step into this new year together, the invitation before us is very clear. This invitation is nothing new. It is not innovative. It is not fresh It's not shiny. It is nothing that we haven't heard before. It's nothing that God hasn't been telling to the people of God since the beginning. The invitation is simply this. Our work as disciples of Jesus Christ, bound together as the people of God in the church, is to truly embody the gospel 
and to allow ourselves to be continually reformed by Jesus over and over and over again until we can discover our truest purpose, which is to be a blessing to this broken world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.